Welcome to the Porch Roof Classic, a retro baseball podcast novel in 15 or so episodes by Jeff Pullman. Episode 3 After my mowing marathon, I biked with Robbie to the Marsh Meadow Plunge. A brave attempt to go alone was foiled when Mom scrubbed the kitchen floor and wanted us both out of the house. It was a letdown. Robbie had just begun swimming in the deep end and needed to be watched, which cut into my high diving board and socializing time. Izzy was there to comment on every nubile girl he was too scared to approach. I joined him briefly in the snaky good-humor truck line, but Robbie duty prevailed, and soon I was on a nearby bench with my brother, wiping rocket-pop juice off his mouth. Phoebus versus Brett tonight, three with the bastard birds. Don't say bastard, Robbie. Why not? Dad says it. So does Mr. Siegel. Yeah, but they're grown-ups. But you're not, and I've heard you say worse. Don't argue with me, okay? When you get older, you can say anything you want. That blows ass. Hey! In the nick of time, lifeguards suddenly pierced the air with their whistles. A handful of sheepish adults climbed from the pool seconds before 50 kids ran, screamed, and dive-bobbed into the water. I circled Robbie while he dog-paddled at the deep end with a nervous grin on his water-spitting mouth, then told him I needed ten minutes of high diving board time. Climbing the thirty-five-foot ladder to the top took me at least four tries before I conquered the sucker after seventh grade. Shut your nose and hold your eyes was Izzy's expert advice, and it still worked because it made me laugh and forget my fear. This time, as I grabbed the first rung and looked up, excitement took over. Melanie Court was on the ladder right in front of me, garbed in a teal-blue two-piece suit that contrasted with her creamy white skin. After a brief gander, I quickly looked away, recovered my bearings, and cleared my throat. Hi, Melanie. She looked down. I wasn't wearing my glasses, and it took her a second to figure out who I was. Oh, hi. Do you, um, come here a lot? I've never, sometimes. My cousin here is visiting from Buffalo. I peered above her and saw a younger girl grinning at us. That's cool. The big drop doesn't scare her? Not at all. We inched up the ladder. My brain was scrambling for further words. Are you, um, around this summer? Most of it. I nodded. Her teal blue behind was six inches from my face and made it impossible to concentrate. Listen, you want to go get a root beer float at A&W sometime? It was too late. I'd said the words. But she turned and gave me a smile so cute I nearly fell off the ladder. Maybe. Call me up. Her cousin took the plunge with a squeal. Melanie climbed to the top. I paused, still dizzy from her response, waited for her to jump, and then scaled the final few rungs. Ninety percent of the kids dropped instead of dove off this thing. It should have been called the high dropping board and there was a fit local college student in bright red trunks in the water to instantly scoop you out if you landed wrong. Fear always found a way to strangle me at this point. The twelve-foot fathoms waited to swallow my body if I didn't slip on the edge of the board and crack my head open first. This time, though, with Melanie's beautiful answer glowing in my brain, I felt energized. The pool quickly became a Bond villain's lair, and I was 007, parachuting into it with my Walther PPK, free hand holding my nose. 
A bike ride home, long shower, and fluffernutter sandwich awaited, and I was back at the Wiffle Grounds before dinner. Two games in a day was common, sometimes three when sunlight lasted forever in the third week of June. Robbie was a no-show because he was wiped and never missed a rerun of Petticoat Junction. It freed me up to use the word bastard, which came in handy when Scotty put two of my wimpy curves atop the left-field cliff. Melanie's cute bathing suit and freckled smile were still imprinted on my brain, but I had no desire to share those items yet with Izzy because he would have grilled me till sunset. One inning later, I took the outfield. Izzy was pitching, and we were down 13-3. to Turned my back on home plate a moment to shoo away a bee. Suddenly, a muscular car motor rumbled the street and sucked up every sound. Chirping birds, buzzing insects, even the breeze that whipped sand around. A cloud passed over the sun. I turned and looked back toward home plate. Danny Blight stood at the narrow Wiffle Grounds entrance, hands on his hips. He wore cut-off jean shorts and a gruesome yellow polo shirt with red and blue stars on the collar. Mick Shaw was beside him, along with a stocky guy with a handlebar mustache, pointy sideburns, and giant set of car keys dangling from his belt. He could only be Mick's older brother. "'How cute!' said Danny. "'Who invited you?' asked Izzy. "'No one,' said Mick. "'Free country.' Damn straight, added brother of Mick. My only question, continued Danny, picking up one of our bats and twirling it in his big hand like a baton, is who gave you permission to play fairy ball anywhere you want? You drove all the way here to ask us that? Nah, we were just taking a ride to the dump with Nick's brother. Saw this dump here and thought we'd say hi. Good, said Izzy. Hi and bye. Danny continued to examine our skilly yellow bat with amazement then held it up with one hand as if it were a club. Throw me a few. No bleeping way, said Izzy. You're trespassing, barked Mick. Damn straight, said his brother. Want us to call the marshmallow police? Throw me a few. Izzy was so angry he could only sputter. I walked it in motion for the ball. I'll throw you one, Danny, but just one. Damn yids, muttered Mick. Gotta negotiate everything. Okay, one then, said Danny, beaming. I located the stretched-out dish towel we were using for the mound, placed my middle finger along the ball's rotunda of holes, and prayed for a perfect curve. Danny dug in at home, still holding the bat up with one hand. Scotty rolled his eyes. Gene's mouth dropped open. You gotta be kidding me, said Izzy. Sure you don't want to add another limb to that? Just throw. I reared back, round my right heel into the sand, and let loose a high, arcing curve. Danny waited to the last possible millisecond. The bat flashed. There was a plastic crack, and his ICBM missile shot over the center field cliff. He leaped and hooted and took his sweet time preening around our bases like a prize rooster. Izzy wanted to murder him on the spot, or at least find a way to squeeze a wiffle ball into his nose. I wasn't far behind. "'You asswipe!' yelled Gene, both fists clenched at his sides. I couldn't see Izzy's left hand because it was inside his glove. But if the red licorice veins in his neck were any clue, it was likely flashing him a bird. Danny's Cardinals were Marshmallow Little League champs last year, in case you forgot, spat out Mick. You know, hardball. Oh, believe me, we knew. Even though every one of us was a Little League washout, who could forget Danny's infamous line drive in the championship that hit the third base bag, bounced off Billy Draper's heel, went under a dog, and turned into a game-winning inside-the-park grand slam.
Yeah, said Jean. I remember that lucky bullshit hit really well, like the time I got my tonsils out. Great. Want to see me get another one? Want to see my bat up your butt and out one of your ears? Knock it off, Jean, I said. It'll just make him more cocky. Danny smirked at me, gave us a little bow, and backpedaled. See, that's why I like Tosh. He may be a kike, but he's a good kike. He flipped the bat at my chest, and I snatched it before it struck. Thanks for the good times, kids. Sure, said Jean. Now stay the hell away from our field. Danny spun, gave us a shifty grin, an encore bow, and disappeared into the passenger seat of Mick's brother's Dotson. Why didn't you kick his ass? Izzy asked me. He was shaking. Why didn't you? Why didn't you guys kick Hitler's ass when you could have threw in Jean? It wasn't really a fair question, but the point was made. Scotty, who had been waiting patiently, dragged his plastic lumber to the plate, and we wobbly finished our game. Every Friday night, Channel 27 in New Haven showed an old thriller or horror movie at 10 p.m., and Mom joined me in the den for many of them. Getting safely thrilled and horrified together was one of the few things we shared, and coming soon after Danny's appearance at the Wiffle Grounds, Mom bonding was more than welcome. The movie that night was a black-and-white gem from 1962 called Experiment in Terror with Glenn Ford and Lee Remick. Set in San Francisco with creepy, pretty music by Henry Mancini, it tells the story of a bank teller, Remick, who gets accosted in the shadows of her garage one night by a menacing, hoarse-voiced blackmailer. He demands money from Remick's bank or he'll abduct and possibly harm her younger sister, and Ford plays the local FBI man who tracks down and finally captures the criminal. Ford was pretty dull as the lawman, but Ross Martin as the blackmailer was nightmare-worthy. Martin would later be Robert Conrad's comical sidekick on the Wild Wild West, but here with his froggy eyes, once you see them, and wheezy, murderous voice, he got under my skin, nails, and everything else the moment he was on screen. The drama of experiment and terror was gripping enough, but for me on this night there was an added payoff. The final scene where the villain is apprehended occurs during a Dodgers-Giants night game at Candlestick Park, with Martin cornered on the pitching mound and a police helicopter swooping in overhead. There's even footage from the stands of Don Drysdale pitching in an actual game there. With Fenway still being the lone Major League Mecca I had visited, the sequence was suspenseful and orgasmic at the same time. I sat with Mom on our orange vinyl couch. We'd been through two bowls of Jiffy Pop, and as was custom, took turns mock-covering each other's eyes during the most intense scenes. In earlier years, we'd snuggle a bit for Frankenstein or Godzilla movies, but I was entering high school soon and chose to stay on the far end of the couch. Lee Remick had a pretty sweet face, so naturally it made me think of Melanie for much of the movie. I was tempted to tell Mom about our upcoming root beer date, but didn't want to jinx it. When the movie ended close to midnight, she stood and yawned. I took a bit more time. Ross Martin's voice was still crawling over me. That was a good one, she said, and collected the popcorn bowls. Uh-huh. The guy from Wild Wild West was a real creepy villain. Yep, he was one bad guy. I'll wash your clothes in the morning, okay? Yeah. Hey, Mom, what do you think makes people be evil? What's that? Like, are they born that way? Does someone mess them up? Nobody's born that way. People can have mental illness in their family, I suppose, but nine times out of ten, it's just a troubled childhood. You mean they get beaten up a lot? I could see the magazine feature headline, Dropped in Vomit, He Took It Out on the World. 
No, no, more like one without love. Your father and I both had loving parents. They weren't perfect, believe me, but they definitely loved us. She gave me a playful elbow as we headed into the kitchen. Lucky for you, right? I guess. Actually, Danny Blight is the most evil person I've ever met. He's a little jerky, that's for sure. All that money they have, and he's still got terrible teeth. Get the lights, sweetie. I'm just afraid he's going to break up our games every time now. We went down the hall, and her voice lowered as we neared the bedrooms. Dad's snoring nearly drowned it out. People aren't born jerky, honey. Trust me. She gave me a hug and peck on the cheek. Sleep well. Easy for her to say. My nightmare about a seven-foot-tall Danny Blight with froggy eyes, rotting hands, and wielding a wooden bat with spikes through it began about 5 a.m. and lasted till daybreak. I found Melanie Court's number in the local phone book the next morning and dialed it, after drinking an entire Royal Crown Cola first to get myself energized. It didn't help. The number holes on the dial became gooey, and the receiver slid off my sweaty ear, it rang six times, and a young boy answered I assumed was her brother. Courthouse! That was pretty funny, but it didn't relax me. I was too jittery to even speak. Anybody there? Wrong number, sorry. I quickly hung up, decided it was probably too early to call a girl up after talking to her at the plunge. Yeah, that made sense. Instead, I called Izzy. Melanie Court? She's a cutie pie and a half. I know she is Izzy, but what do I say? I don't know. Start with the weather. Everybody does that. So that's what you do? Come on, Joey. I haven't called a girl up since I was born. How tight was her bathing suit, anyway? Tight. But that's not that. Maybe it would be easier if she was homely. Cripes. Maybe I should call Jean. You kidding? Jean doesn't know what a girl is. Well, you sure aren't helping. Sorry. I did give you that weather tip, though. Or maybe you can discuss root beer. Look up the history of it in your encyclopedia. Thanks, Izzy. Maybe I'll try her again in a few days. The next day, Robbie and I were out in the backyard for more wiffle practice about an hour before dinner, filled him in on Danny Blight's rude appearance at the grounds while we grabbed the bat and balls, and he got real quiet and his face turned a bit red and I could tell it was bothering him. When I tossed him pitches, his swing was more wildly out of control than usual, and he missed the first six deliveries before making contact. Calm down and choke up a little, okay? You're too short to swing like that. I'm not short, I'm little. I don't care if you're a dwarf. Your head is flying out, and you're missing most everything I throw. Yeah, yeah. He missed my next one, then knocked himself in the head with the bat and gritted his teeth, shook his arms in a goofy way, and dug his feet back into the dirt. I tossed one right down the middle, and he met the ball perfectly. It shot toward the porch roof. A victory smile cut across his face, then vanished at the last moment as the ball struck a branch on the right side of Phil's tree and dropped straight down into a weed patch. Arrgh! He smashed the ground with the bat, chucked it behind him into the Bickerstein's yard, and stormed in the house. I shook my head, took five minutes to find the bat in the Bickerstein weed patch, then followed him inside. Twenty minutes later, I was getting out of a long shower when I heard Mom throw open a kitchen window and began screaming, Robbie, what are you doing? I wrapped myself in a towel, quickly wiped fog off the bathroom window. Robbie had grabbed Dad's hatchet from the basement workbench and was attacking the base of the big tree like a mini madman. I bolted across the hall and threw on some clothes. By the time I reached the backyard, he had done serious damage to the bark and was a good six inches into the trunk. Thankfully, Dad wasn't home yet. Robbie, cut it out! Stupid Nazi bastard tree! I hate you, I hate you, I hate you! Stop it! 
I snatched the back of his shirt and hauled him away. He took another wild swing with the bark-stained hatchet, and I clamped on his wrist and squeezed until the weapon dropped from his hand. Dinner that night was a morgue. Robbie stared at his casserole and barely touched it. Dad kept shoveling up breadcrumbs with his fork, his expression twisted. When they called me into the living room around eight o'clock, at least I knew tough words would be spoken. Robbie had been sent to bed early, and Mom had pulled an old duffel bag out of some closet. Mother and I have decided, began Dad, sounding anything but decisive, to send you to Camp Macalake for two weeks. My entire body sagged. What? Why? I didn't do it. Robbie is a very sensitive boy, said Mom, and he needs a more quiet, less, I don't know, unruly home right now. All this baseball stuff. What's wrong with baseball? What Mother means is that his frustration with the wiffle ball, plus that nasty business with the blight kid, it all has a bad effect on him. We know you're his older brother. We just think he needs a short break from you. So send him away to camp. Are you sassing me back? He's too young, Joey, said Mom. You know that. What with his bedwetting? That was a Robbie detail I forgot to mention. You can thank me later. Camp Macalake is a nice place in the Berkshires, Joey, said Dad. Minnie Hirsch from synagogue sent all three of her boys there. Right, and it's easier for us to keep an eye on Robbie if he's here. As it is, I may have to call a tree surgeon this week. But crap, I'm supposed to go on. I caught myself. Go on what? Nothing, I mumbled. Just getting together with a new friend. You'll meet plenty of them at camp, said Mom. Anyway, continued Dad, I'm driving you up there on Friday. Mother will help you pack. And with that, two weeks of my too short summer were wiped out. This is all Blightmare's fault. Every last bit. I could hear Izzy sigh over the phone. I thought it was Robbie who chopped the tree. Yeah, but Blightmare crapped all over our game, and then I told Robbie about her, which, okay, might have been a mistake, but then he went after the tree, so that makes it the first guy's fault. Forget about it, Joey. We can survive for two weeks. So can you. Yeah? Ever been to that Jewish wilderness prison? I hear they give you burnt potato latkes for breakfast. I hadn't heard that rumor. Just the one about them having camp synagogue services on the lake. Are you serious? Howie Rosen told me, but he's sort of Looney Tunes. Damn. Promise me you won't let Danny find out about this, or Melanie Court. Oh, right, Melanie. Did you call her again? I can't do it now. Well, at least you got more time to think about what to say, right? I guess. Anyway, if there's another game at the Wiffle Grounds while I'm gone and Danny shows up to ruin it, make sure you guys knock his brains in. Man, oh, man Sounds like you can use these two weeks off. He was right. Not having to look at Danny's punchable face for a spell would be a huge relief. You've been listening to The Porch Roof Classic by Jeff Pullman. This retro baseball podcast novel was made possible by Spotify for Podcasters and Buzzsprout. Be sure to basket catch another episode next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to contribute, go to buymeacoffee.com slash jpolman54v. Thanks.